Welcome to coffeeis.me podcast, where me means you, or more precisely, us. This is the show where your host, Valerian, without using any interrogation techniques, convinces coffee professionals to reveal their secrets to teach and inspire you to make better coffee and earn a few bucks on the side, if that's what you fancy. Let the show begin. Hi, Coffee is Me listeners. Welcome back to another episode of your favorite podcast, I hope. If not favorite, maybe second favorite. Anyways, today I have an awesome guest for you. His name is Daniel Streetman. Hey, Daniel. Hey, Valerian. Daniel is my colleague, right? Can we call ourselves colleagues? Absolutely. Okay. So Daniel is one of our trainers at Boot Coffee. And, uh, you know, when students are having lunch, we chat together about uh, coffee and coffee business. And I realized that he actually is deep in coffee business. And he has a startup called uh, Bird and Bear Coffee. But before we're going to talk about that, uh, you know, my first question is always kind of like a warm-up question about your first cup of coffee. Do you remember your first cup of coffee? Oof. You know, I, I don't know if I can say I remember really my first cup of coffee because that was probably like when I was four years old and my granny was drinking, you know, like instant Folgers or something. Um. So I don't really remember that, except for tasting really. But I do remember the first day that I worked in coffee. And that was really pivotal for me because the person who trained me, their whole thing was, you know, if you want to be a good barista, you have to taste your coffee. And so by tasting the coffee, I just got totally enamored with you know, trying to figure out, well, why does it taste different? Why does this coffee taste different? Is it the extraction? Is it the origin? Is it the roasting? Uh, and that's led me on a 19-year journey of being a coffee provider. Did you discover why the coffee tastes different? Some yes, and some no. And I think that's what's fun about coffee is that, you know, you can learn things and you can draw conclusions, but it will always continue to surprise you. You are a very young man. When we met and you told me that you are 19 years in a coffee industry, I was like, how is that even possible? Do you have 19 years? Are you 19 years old at all? Well, that's very kind of you. I'm not that young. 37 is, is pretty solidly middle-aged. But uh, yeah, it's definitely people do get surprised my whole adult life, uh, basically working in coffee. So I definitely understand that. Now, when I met you, uh you were uh, just doing barista training at boot coffee like i was it was before covid when we first time met and yeah cool you know daniel the barista trainer and then when you kind of open up person realized that you did so many things in the coffee industry like traveled farms judged barista competitions you have all those little stems from sca to teach almost all the day courses then you had a green coffee company you have now your own roasting company. Then you are managing the Puli Collective, which is a co-roasting place in uh, Oakland, I assume, right? Yes. And did I miss something? Uh, well, I have twin daughters. I don't know if that counts. <laughs> it does, man. <laughs> twin daughters, uh, they are like two, right? They are two. And wow. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's a lot. So are you crazy or are you bored or what's happening? I'm definitely not bored. I think uh, just taking care of two would be enough to keep me busy. Um, but, you know, I've always been really active. Um, and, you know, especially when you have a young family, you're always trying to figure out how to give them the best, right? And so souls are about trying to work hard and and do the things for my family that they deserve so oh that's very sweet of you but again i know what you're in because i'm also a person who likes multiple projects and i'm always cooking here and there and doing this and that but i did realize as you get older it's always harder and harder and i'm not really that old you know i'm 47 but uh it just gets harder and your quality of your life is becoming miserable at some point. So that's why that's why I sold Unleash Coffee uh, a year ago, right? But uh, so so what's up with you? Like, do you plan to keep up all these little projects or do you want to focus on something else? We'll see. You know, we'll see where where the path takes me. I think, you know, the primary focus is, is bird and bear. Build that and how to build that into something that I can be really proud of. And, you know, we'll see what my daughters want to do. If they wanted to take it over, that would be the greatest gift of my life. Um, but that's just something that I realized through the pandemic, you know, roasting coffee and sourcing coffee and trying to translate what I feel and believe about coffee to consumers um is what i'm really passionate about and you know it's what i have the most experience doing so just trying to find a way to make that work and you know some of the other pieces are synergistic in different ways and also i have a hard time saying no to anyone when they ask for help and so you know i see a need and then i try to step in and fill it so i'm disappointed with your answer, because I was hoping that your priority are the trainings at Boot Coffee. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, let's fill up those classes and uh, maybe that'll take over. Who knows? You know, I do love training and that's part of the reason why I, the primary reason why I agreed to come to Boot and do training is, you know, I feel like I've had so many fantastic mentors in this industry and, um, there's just so many the gates to information and knowledge. And so, you know, as long as I've been involved in a big believer in SEA and standards and in sharing the, that information, because um, really it helps all of us in the industry get better at what we do, be more professional uh, and ultimately create more value for consumers, which creates more value for Awesome. Like in my show notes, I have a little remark here. Sneak in the trainer and courses in January. Did I do a good job? <laughs> you know, that those classes in January are going to be really fun. Larian, I'm super excited about that uh, idea we came up with. Like, come for one week and get an introduction to all the different subjects in coffee. Um, because I think, you know, for me as a young coffee professional, 
it was really hard to figure out, well, like, what do I want to do or where do I go in this industry? You know, how do I turn this into a career? Um, and I think having access to kind of like a, a little bit more information about the different aspects of coffee, you know, can give people an idea of what they're interested in and that can help them find a path uh, in the industry. So, yeah, just to clarify, we have a vehicle foundation courses from SCA. So every day is a different course. One day is the barista, second day is roasting, then brewing, then sensory. I love sensory. Tasting coffee is really awesome. And also we have introduction to coffee. So uh, that's a little plug. Yeah, why not? Uh, we using this podcast to plug our courses too. Um, and uh, I actually, you know, when we came up, when you came up with this idea, kudos to you, Ahmed, it was your idea. I was like, this is great because we have many times students who come and say, you know what? I want to work with coffee. I just don't know what. So many, many, many times they go through multiple courses, like full courses from, you know, uh, introduction to sorry, from foundation all the way to the uh, intermediate. And, you know, that, that's a lot of courses. So this way they kind of can figure it out easier. I just had yesterday a guest from Argentina. Uh, she's a podcast listener. So uh, hello to Catalina. And, you know, she... She knows approximately what she wants to do, but she doesn't know which side of the coffee industry to tackle, which which should be her role in her company. So this can be a kind of a good way how to uh, figure this out, right? Absolutely. And, you know, the other part is, you know, a lot of times as a trainer, I see people come and they do, you know, a, a foundations and intermediate back to back. And you watch people kind of really hit their ceiling in an intermediate class because they're missing foundations from other aspects of coffee, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, brewing and barista really go hand in hand, right? Sensory and brewing and roasting really go hand in hand because if you don't have the foundation of how to taste coffee and you're manipulating roast variables, well, how are you gonna determine which ones worked to help yeah. you get where you wanted to go, right? And so I think, you know, we've, We've done a good job of creating curriculums. I think we haven't always done a good job of helping people under, understand the multiple, multiply, multidisciplinary aspects of coffee. And so hopefully that's something that we can start to, to do better. I agree. Uh, and I think also the fun. Uh, like I know that barista, because these are foundation courses, this is not something you finish and you become a a master of it, right? This is one day course on roasting, one day course on barista. But for people who are, let's say, baristas, uh, foundation of roasting can be fascinating. They realize that, hey, it's pretty magical to take that green hard bean and turn it into something flavorful and uh, alternate uh, that flavor a little bit based on, on, on the roast profile you choose or the roast technology you use. And for me personally, that's the most fascinating part of the coffee industry. So I'm definitely the sensory and roaster guy, but I did take your barista course and I had great time. I mean, I'm not, I'm never going to be a barista, but dude, I, I learned a lot and I'm pulling shots and I'm still making horrible latte art, but <laughs> uh, it's fun. Nice. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. It's a lot better than you give yourself credit for. But I mean, the, the interesting part about that is, I mean, the standard has gone up so much since I first learned to pour latte art. So it's 
it's more challenging now as a beginner, right? Yeah. Well, you know, again, for me, that's a fun thing and it's kind of important to evaluate my espresso roles, right? If I want to develop a blend or if I want to uh, develop a single origin espresso uh, to know how to pull the shot properly. And I learned a lot from that course. I thought I know everything because I, you know, I'm pulling shots for a while, but I think the SCA uh, curriculum is pretty good in that regard. What is it not good uh, is, I have to say, I'm a little bit disappointed when it comes to business aspects of, let's say, roasting. And I know it's not about business, you know, uh, obviously you have this podcast for business, but uh, many times people who come for the roasting course, they do want to start a business. Like in the last episode, we had Gleason and you met Gleason on the SA roasting course. And I really think that for him, it, it, it was a great course, definitely, but the one which we have at Boot, the business and roasting course, which is not SCA certified, it's our own course, would benefit much more because his goal was to start a coffee company. And he still consults with us many times. And I was like, oh, yeah, if you would take that course, you would have that. You wouldn't have to pay the consultancy fee, right? So <laughs> anyway, uh, we have that course too, if you want to check it out. Uh, I, that course sells out very fast. So we, I just published the December date and it sold out in two weeks which is like wow and i was just saying that's incredible and i you know it's it's funny because being a industry insider for so long and being a part of sea you know, i could i could bore you with a lot of reasons why that is um you know mostly inside the industry is a lot of people who are really passionate about coffee who want to share that knowledge and you know it's great that there are people like boot who are coming in to fill in the gap about um, business knowledge and information. Um, and so that's, that's an interesting part. And, you know, I've seen the industry mature so many, so much over the last almost 20 years. It's really interesting to see how, um, you know, much more professional it is where, you know, people are bringing those skill sets to the industry. So. Yeah. You know, if I have to kind of, yesterday with Catalina, I had this conversation and uh, we have other students asking, what's the difference? I always say that Imagine the SA course as giving you very deep knowledge on roasting. Roasting, really deep knowledge on roasting, that's it. Imagine the, uh, the, our boot uh, roast lab pro business course as a hack where we teach you how to roast. You're going to practice a lot, but all the mornings what you do, you're going to learn about business aspects of coffee from packaging to marketing to anything. And the program is always published so you, people can check out what's going on. And I also invite people to these uh, uh, days, like every day, almost every day we have a guest who already is, you know, already did it. And it's almost like a little podcast <laughs> within, the, within the course, except that people can ask their own questions, you know, from these people who already made it. And I encouraged you to do the same with uh, cafe because I, I don't know too much about cafes. Starting a cafe, I started once and I burned myself a lot. So I do encourage you to do something similar for boot. And uh, I think that would be awesome. Yeah. All right. That was a big plug, I guess, but I hope, I hope you guys got something from it. Uh, I hope you got at least some feeling why the SCA courses are good or maybe not that good for you, but uh, let's talk about bird and bear coffee. Um, first of all, what does this stand for? And when did you started it? Yeah, so I named my company uh, Bird and Bear Coffee because I nicknamed my daughters uh, Little 
And mostly that was to keep it front and center for me of like, why am I doing this? What, what makes this important? Um, and so, you know, that was very front of mind when I started the company, you know, I started thinking, I think we've officially started in June, 2020. There's kind of some lead up in there and we can talk about that if you're interested, but um, yeah, that's basically the long and short of it. Bird and Bear Coffee. Uh, what's your domain name, by the way? Birdandbearcoffee.com. Okay, that's long, but okay. Yeah, we, you know, you've given me this grief a few times. I, my domain name should be shorter, but you know, I just I didn't think about that part. You know, I wanted it to be an e-commerce company. Uh, that birdandbearcoffee.com was really long. You know, the surprising part is is that it hasn't really hurt people from finding us. Like if you Google it, you will find us. I promise. Surprising, given that uh, SEO is these days, especially in a space like that's very competitive. Yeah, it's a unique name, so I give you that. And yeah, it, it's it's actually the bird and bear is not so hard. But uh, I did that one mistake once when Green Plantation is a Slovak company, and obviously Slovaks don't speak English. Like some of them do, but it's not the main language there, of course. So when we named Green Plantation and we said, oh, you just go to greenplantation.com. And they're like, what? How do you spell that? So we had to rename, rebrand actually to GP, Kava. Kava is a word in Slovak, you know, for coffee, .sk. So, and that helped a lot. So just a little tip. If you think of your names, uh, think about the length of your domain. Uh, how do people find it? And the SEO, actually, I like that your name is so unique that nobody has it. Uh, like, for example, Un Unleashed Coffee was another example where we had a problem with that because there was un Unleashed, there was an Unleashed brand which sold some stuff for dogs or something. So, and it's it's established company, I assume, because anytime you search for Unleashed, they always popped up some dog toys and dog, you know, food and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, damn it. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel really lucky to get a name that unique. And it was something I thought really hard about of having something really unique. I tossed around a lot of different names to try to come up with, you know, what really resonated. And, you know, this is what we settled on. There was only one other bird and bear that I could find, and there's nothing active. For instance, uh, toys company or like plush toys or something like that. So that made me feel confident that, okay, if le at least if people are looking for us, they will find us, right? Um, and I felt, I felt like the hard work of trying to build a brand in the e was, um, you know, to compete with everybody else and blah, blah, blah. Right. Like, I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if you could have the domain freshroastcoffee.com? but guess what? Somebody owns that domain, right? So if you're a newcomer to the space, you have to think about what, um, What's going to make you different and how you're going to play? Unless you really have a lot of money to come in and buy some super valuable domain like that, right? Where that's what everybody is searching for and then they're going to find you and, and that's easy. But, you know, you look at a lot of brands out there and it's about creating, you know, a unique identity that resonates with people. And so, um, you know, I, I hate talking about the brand as a brand because I don't really want to be a brand i just want to be 
a dude who's your neighbor who roasts coffee and and you bring it home with you and you enjoy it right and that's kind of our mission right we ended up making it something that's really personal um because you know the coffees that we buy are really personal we want to have a really personal relationship with you as our customer and um so hopefully that that resonates with people yeah i get from that name i totally get that personal kind of family vibe uh thanks for sharing by the way that you thought of the domain because that's very very important and many times people don't realize it that they come up with awesome name and it's like okay what shall i do now like uh, all the domains taken there are similar companies and you have to think about it and sometimes you end up with a name which is like oh you know it's like i i don't know that's my maybe 10th choice but unfortunately that domain is taken or that name is used by a big corporation which will always beat you you know it, it doesn't have to be even a coffee industry it can be anything else but they have a coffee colored shirt and suddenly they you know google i don't know for example unleashed coffee and it's the unleashed you know clothing brand with a coffee colored shirt and you just not appear so that's picking a good name and playing it safe online too that i think that's super important but i I want to tell you something about the brand. I mean, I think that you are brand and your brand. I mean, people think that brand is logo and some nasty company, but brand and branding is you. And it, it, it is what you built. It is what you give it to, right? So my favorite definition, and I repeat that, I put it in very deep into our students when we have the business course. That's, that's so important to kind of like burn this into your head that, my favorite definition of brand is that a brand is a gut feeling about your company. So basically, if somebody sees your logo, your packaging, somebody meets you, your employee, you talk, they will have a gut feeling what you do, what you sell, and how that coffee approximately tastes like, or what does it stand for? That's the gut feeling, right? And that's a very good definition of what really brand is. You know, it's not about the logo. It's not about the fonts. Obviously, those are important. And, you know, I like to nerd out on that. But that gut feeling. And for you, the gut feeling is that personality which you give to your uh, burden bear coffee. So, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I think you're totally right. And I think that's part of the reason why I have, you know, strong living in a, a information age where, you know, we're hyper aware of so many things all the time. And people talk about brands as concepts and, you know, you see concept brands out there and, you know, what we're trying to do, I think is to be really authentic and give somebody a really tangible experience. You know, I don't want to think about it as a concept. I want to think about it as the, the experience and the relationship that we have with our customers and with our, with our product. And so uh, I just try to keep that really front and center in everything that we do and um so hopefully hopefully it'll work on the end i'll i have this usual question for everyone that uh you know if you would if i would give you ten thousand dollars what kind of coffee company would you build and i will ask you that too on the end but i know usually i get the answer oh it's very hard oh i don't know uh but they come up with something but in your case you you did it like so Tell us, how much did you spend on Burden Bear Coffee to start it? Yeah, I think, you know, basically 
we spent about $2,500 to start this company. Um, and, you know, to kind of give you some understanding of that was, you know, I got laid off during the pandemic and I looked at my wife and I was like, Hey, we got to do something. You know, I think I should start roasting. And she was like, well, how much do we have to spend to try it? And I was like, well, you know, like I can buy this home roaster for 500 bucks and, um, and we can, and start. Right. And so we did that and I started roasting and people in the neighborhood were responding. We were starting to sell more coffee. Um, you know, I was roasting at pulley, like one batch a week and then kind of filling in on the little Baymore. And then we, uh, got a branding package from a small uh, designer for like two grand. So yeah, so we were like 2,500 bucks in to start. And from there, you know, we were using revenue from the company to, to that was our, our roasting overhead or registering the LLC or anything like that, that was coming out of the, out of the positive cash flow from the company. So. I'm missing one thing. I you run down the roaster, and by the way, just for the listeners, Pulley Collective is a co-roasting facility. We mentioned it in the beginning. Just you know, people know that basically you can roast. Uh, you can rent time on a coffee roaster, so that's a smart move. But where is your green coffee? Yeah, green coffee. Well, okay, so I bought one bag of green coffee that was like around three three fifty a pound. So what would that for fifty bucks? So let's say three grand all in. You pay $2,000 for the designer or for the packaging? For the designer. So then you have to do a packaging too, right? You have to buy it. Right. So I guess the box of bags is like 100 bucks, And then the stamp was another 30 bucks. I'm trying to squeeze you, but we, I don't think we're going to up to $10,000 at all. Maybe not even $5,000. If I... There's no way you're going to get to $10,000. <laughs> made investment since then. But, you know, to get it started, I mean, we did it. we did it very shoestring um so yeah okay so now i want to know tell us some tips how to build a company starting with let's say four thousand dollars well i think i think the biggest thing is from my point of view is is get started and it wasn't really an option for me you know i didn't have the capital um and it was really important to me you know not to take capital in order to keep ownership of the mission and the vision of the company and not be beholden to trying to, you know, make returns. Um, but just to, to get started and to put something out there for people and say what you stand for and then iterate, right? Like if you go and you try to work from the beginning, I mean, you're going to make it really, really hard on yourself. That's my point of view. You know, there's so many really established companies and brands out there um you know you're not going to out design blue bottle out of the out of the gate so don't do that um i mean maybe maybe if you're an amazing marketing design person and that's what you do then you can do that from the beginning but that's not my skill set my skill set is in the product and so i decided to focus on you know buying coffees uh, that i can really that i know and that i can tell the story of and that you know, try to find what resonates with uh, consumers. And that's been the most fun part of this for me is being able to have, you know, 
a really short and direct feedback loop from me being able to roast the coffee and talk to the customers about what they like and why they like it and what they don't like. Uh, and that's how did you find your first customers? You know, it's funny. So this kind of started as like a friends and family email list, um, which kind of was because of of my green coffee company, Slackbag. So I started, you know, I emailed like a family and I was like, hey, do you want to buy a pound of coffee? And they were like, yeah. And so I was like, okay, cool. So I did that. And then like a month later, everybody was like, hey, when are you going to roast coffee again? Can we get some more coffee? And I was like, sure, great. Let's do another batch. And so that kind of, that was the start, right? And that was like the first few months was just kind of like, hey, you know, list of 30 friends and family, buy a pound of coffee for 10 bucks and call it a day. And then once I got the Baymore, I was roasting um, in my house, <clears throat> you know, to set up the website and people could order whenever. And so I would be roasting up on the deck and it was like, it was just kind of a problem. It was too hot. Like I couldn't see the screen on the Baymore. So finally I was like, you know what, I'm going to go try roasting in the garage. Like maybe that will work better. So I rolled up the garage door in my neighborhood and they're like roasting coffee. And it's like, this is like during lockdown, right? So people walking around, taking phone calls or whatever. And they're like saying hello. And they're looking at me and they're like, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm roasting coffee. And they're like, oh, that's cool. Can I buy some? I'm like, sure. Okay. So finally I realized, I was like, I'm doing this all along. Like I'm sitting here in the back of my garage, like roasting the coffee. I should have like some bags out on a table and, you know, let people buy it. And so I just, I got a, a rolling table. I rolled it up to the front of the garage door and people would walk by and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm roasting coffee. Like, Can I buy some? I'm like, sure, here. So like a neighborhood, a neighborhood thing, um, which is, which is kind of fun. This is fascinating. <laughs> I love this story. And by the way, just for the listeners, you live in San Francisco. Yeah. I now live uh, in Fairfax, which is not far away from San Francisco, but I, I don't think if I will start to roast in a garage that people come and buy my coffee. I don't think so. Uh, we are suburbs. But, uh, but you know, people, like, I remember when, I, when we make wine with Marcus, uh, my sometimes co-host, uh, people come and check, out, check us out. Like, what are you guys doing? I say, oh, we are pressing wine or, you know, pushing grapes or doing something. And so, I don't know. I never tried it. So maybe even coffee would work. But that's a fascinating story. So, okay, so that's how you got your first customers. Your email is friends and family. And by the way, we tried it with Unleashed Coffee. It did not work. So you, you have better friends and family than I do. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, well, my family is great. I'm, I'm kidding, obviously. Uh, but uh, this neighborhoods thing is pretty awesome. And so would you advise it to somebody to do something like that? Can you make a living selling coffee in a neighborhood? Uh, you know, you can, depends on your neighborhood, right? I mean, like I did some initial research when I was thinking about starting the company, I was like, you know what? So like, if I only sold coffee to people in my zip code, you know, how many people would I have to sell to? And now I'm forgetting the math, but I think there's like 50,000 people live in the zip code that I'm in. Um, and so I did the math where I was like, okay, so if I sold to like one tenth of 1% of those people every week, 
then I can hit my numbers where I can make what I want to make doing this. And so like, that seems like a kind of feasible goal, right? Um, and so that seemed pretty realistic. And I know of another roaster who started in Dallas and that was kind of the thing that they did, right? So they started roasting in their backyard on a, on a barbecue grill. And what they did was they like created a really cool door hanger and they walked around the neighborhood, every, you know, like all around their neighborhood and they left a door hanger and it said, Hey, if you want coffee, fill out this card and we'll bring you a pound of coffee tomorrow. Right. And so that was kind of their thing. And that's how they started. And they eventually grew that business into, you know, one of the most reputable roasters in the Dallas forward area now it's Oak Cliff coffee. And so, I mean, do I think you can do it forever? And I don't know, uh, you know, there's city regulations and zoning and permits and all that kind of stuff that you have to think about and what is legal in your local regulations may vary. Um, but and, and you can, uh, create a customer base that way. Okay. So if I understand you correctly, what you're doing right now is basically having this pop up and we're going to talk about it soon roasting on a be more as a demo because you roast most of your coffees in a pulley collector because you would not because you would not be able to make living from a be more i assume oh no way i mean and especially early on i mean it got pretty hectic where you know like the most coffee i've ever been able to roast on the be more was 12 pounds in a day and that was like of non-stop roasting and I mean, I'm going to void the warranty on my Baymore <laughs> saying this because you're not supposed to roast that much coffee on it. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it was, it was hard. It was really, really hard. And it was, you know, it was really not efficient. Like there's no amount of money you can charge for that amount of time to spend roasting. Um, and so, you know, we had to find a way to scale up and we're really lucky that uh, pulley was an option for us of being able to use a co-roasting space and, and rent time on the roaster. I have to give kudos to be more. Uh, I, we have no affiliations with them whatsoever. So, you know, it's not a, not a, uh, ad or anything. Uh, but that was my first home roaster here in the United States. I had something else when I was living in Europe, but I tortured that device so much. And then I sold it, like used it for three, four years, sold it. And a guy was sent me like, you know, message like three, four years after uh, buying that roaster that, yeah, man, it's still running. It's still using it and it's still doing its stuff. You have to clean it, you have to take care of it. But it's, it's, it, it's, it's a, at that time I paid, I think $300 for it. It was $299 and you got tons of green coffee with it. I think like uh, 12 bags or so 12 times, you know, a pounders, I think. So you had the little things to experiment with, super affordable, makes a pound of coffee. Oh, actually I couldn't roast a pound on it. I had to go a little bit less because of electricity or something. I don't know. Anyway, still enough coffee. So I wrote the two roasts and that lasted me for two weeks. So it was really awesome. Like I, I have to say somebody wants to kind of play a little bit with coffee roasting. I always tell them, well, buy yourself a popcorn popper and if you like it, then be more. Uh-huh. No, that's great advice. I mean, I think, yeah, I, definitely if you're a home roaster and you're using like 12 ounces to a pound of coffee a week, and then you can 
you can do some cool stuff with the Baymore uh, copy and about roasting. It's definitely a unique machine, and you know, uh, I wouldn't say that it's easy to translate what you're doing on a Baymore to a commercial roaster or vice versa. Um, but you can definitely roast good coffee on it. Yeah, or evaluate samples on it, like roast your evaluation samples on it. Uh, gives you an idea about coffee, you know, whether you buy it or not. I was doing it for green plantation for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I sample roasted on that machine yesterday, and I, I need to go cup those coffees when we get done. So, okay, you are lucky. We are lucky because also with Unleashed Coffee, we use the co-roasting facility, a different one, uh, Berkeley Coro, but yeah, it, we are spoiled here. But every time I give this idea to, or this suggestion to our students that, you know what, if you really want to try the concept, uh, just do a white labeling or even better, uh, rent a time on a roaster. And they say, oh, there's nothing like that in my area. So what would you do if there would be nothing like that in uh, our area? Well, you know, it's interesting, Valerian. You know, I have these clients um, who one of them is in Oregon. The other one is up in Sonoma and they come down once a month and they roast. So, you know, I think if it were me, if I didn't have uh, ability to get a co-roasting, you know, my next option would probably be to try to approach an established roaster of like, Hey, I want to build a brand. Will you white label for me? Um, you know, and some of that comes from my experience in coffee. Coffee that I want, I know how I want them roasted and all of those things. So that would be easy for me. But even if you were like a marketer or a brand, you know, hey, that's what your expertise is, right? Get somebody who's an expert in coffee roasting. And I'm surprised that more roasters aren't interested in doing it there's just so much excess roasting capacity in this country um it's so many roasters sitting idle that you know from my standpoint you know i look at it and i say you know we're forcing consumers to pay for all of this real estate and unused time on roasters and i, I look at it as a waste i think that's you know, we really want to be mission oriented towards creating efficiency and driving value back, driving value both to our customers and to origin, then we need to look at ourselves really hard business practices and say, hey, how do we make this more efficient? And how do we, you know, leverage efficiency to create value? Absolutely. Like I, I love what you just said. I mean, that's, such a non Silicon Valley approach where they just toss money at it and just keep coming from a, from the skies with different investors and angels and just wasting it rather than kind of like really kind of like having a tight leash and making sure that you stay focused on what you do with a minimum uh, waste. And uh, I know, for example, in Green Plantation, we, we wasting our roster for three days a week, at least minus weekends, that would be five days. And I want to find a solution for that because our strategy is that we roast two days and other days we, you know, take care of the customers and other, do other things. So again, we're not wasting the labor, right? Uh, which is very expensive, uh, but I would want to use that. But yesterday, uh, and I did not know that you're going to answer this. So I'm, I'm like, yay. Yesterday, uh, we had a consultancy client. I will not mention his name simply because he's starting his business and, you know, it's just like I, I keep it confidential. I don't know if he would want it or not, but he's from Alaska and he's going to uh, start a bigger roastering 
operation there. And I was, he had exactly the same thought, like how to not waste things, how to make it the most efficient production he can do. He does not have a option for a co-roasting, unfortunately. I mean, it's Alaska, there's, you know, minimum roasters and stuff, but he definitely thinks that way that when his roaster is not utilized, he's buying a loading 35 kilo, he's definitely going to like fill it in some way, you know, and all he's thinking about how he is going to get the green beans to Alaska, how he's going to, you know, distribute the coffee to the main United States. It was fascinating for me. It was really like, wow, you really thought of this uh, and really making sure that you're not just, you know, wasting money left and right. So let's talk about green coffee because uh, you you have a green coffee company to which you sell to home roasters, I assume. And when I was... When I was asking, when we did the kind of initial call before the podcast, I asked you, oh, let's shall we talk about it? And he said, uh, I don't know. Uh, so why, why, why did you have that kind of like hesitation? And I assume because something didn't go that well. And what did you learn from that company, which you can apply at uh, your bird and bear coffee? Yeah, so I think it's interesting. I I started Slackbag the year before I started uh, Bird and Bear, and it was an idea that I had um, with some mentors. We were down in Colombia, and they were like, you know, there's nobody selling green coffee to home roasters, and this is like untapped market, and it'll be super easy, you know, just sell on eBay and Facebook and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And I'm like, you know, I kind of know how to do that. And, you know, I, I can throw up a Shopify website and buy some green. And, you know, it's really interesting. I, I learned a lot of from doing that business because I pretty much failed really early on. I think the biggest mistake I made early was that uh, we didn't have enough product variety and I didn't understand uh, the market of what home roasters were looking for in order to, to actually get interest. And how hard it would be to build an e-commerce only brand, um, especially in a space where you don't have the ability to meet people face to face and to build trust with them. Um, you know, it's really interesting. Actually, a lot of what has grown Slackbag, people interacting with me in my garage and sharing the news or people that I know. Um, learning about my green company and then sharing that on Facebook or in other places. And so I think for any business person, when you set out, I think you need to understand build relationships or build trust in order for people to, to buy from you, or you're going to have to have a really strong marketing budget and strategy out the gate or a really long time horizon to make it work. Um, because it's taken a lot of trial and error to get that business to a point where you know, it makes a little money. <laughs> so and not to undercut what we're trying to do with that, what I'm trying to do with that company, I, you know, it's a really cool project selling direct trade coffees for people that I've visited um, to home roasters, you know, same thing, trying to offer a lot of people in compostable packaging, which is something that you don't see in the green space. You know, everybody's using a lot of plastic, uh, which I just don't understand, um, especially in that space. But, um, you know, that's 
it is what it is. For you, it's harder because you're doing now, obviously, the training, but uh, you, you, I think that you have to focus on one of these companies somehow. And I think that roasting is something you feel very passionate about, right? Yeah, and I think, you know, I found success with the roasting easy. I think that's partially due to my experience. You know, I know how to do it. I've I've done a lot of these things before of selling roasted coffee to people, you know, doing wholesale sales, doing those kinds of things. And so that kind of comes naturally. I think the other side of it is, you know, like the market is just so much bigger in roasted than it is in home roasting. Um, and, you know, as a parent of twins, I'm kind of practical about home roasting. Like I'm, the, I, I like roasting, but I don't have time. And if, if my friends ask me like, oh, should I do this? Well, I'm, I'm first going to do like, well, do you have a lot of extra time on your hands? Cause if you do, then great. But if not, then like, just buy a roasted coffee and, and you know, convenience, right? So, um, so that's, that's kind of the hard part for me. And basically, I guess where the the road in terms of like, where my attention has gone with those businesses, it's like, um, yeah, you got to focus on something. And I, and I recognize that's probably my biggest fault with Slack bag is that I haven't dedicated the time and attention to really make that business go. Um, so, but, uh, it's definitely fun to experiment with on the sidelines. Okay. And you have good green coffee for your uh, main brand, but let's talk about it. So first of all, my question uh, I forgot to ask is when you mentioned Blue Bottle and your neighborhood, why do you think people decided to buy coffee from you and not to stay with their brand? Because I assume they were already buying coffee somewhere or they had some favorite brand and now suddenly they go like, oh yeah, the bird and bear because they rose in a garage or they are because of their neighborhood or because you are cool guys or why? Well, I think one thing that we were really lucky was that there was a lot of uh, goodwill in the pandemic. I think, you know, we saw people baking bread and starting pop-up restaurants and, you know, doing cookie boxes and bagels. And I mean, you name it, people were doing it during the pandemic because either you know, the rest closed or whatever thing. And I think people were really aware of that. And I think that gave people willingness to try. Um, and so, you know, I did two things really intentionally. One, you know, we price our product. Um, it's a price point, you know, $15 a pound retail is, uh, you know, is almost 30% less than what most third wave roasters are charging for similar quality coffee. So that really lowers the barrier for people to try it. And, you know, and when they see you standing there, you know, like I'm the founder, I roasted this coffee, it's fresh. They're like, yeah, I'll try it. So when they try it and they like it, then they come back. Right. And, you know, I've seen a few different versions of that where we have people who, yeah, they absolutely switched. They, they turn their back on whatever brand that they were using before and they only buy from, which we love. That's awesome. Um, you know, we, we have ways of trying to hook people in to do that, right? Like subscriptions um, and things like that. But then we also have people, you know, we're in their rotation 
and they buy from us and they buy from a lot of other great roasters here in the Bay area, you know, it creates challenges for me because, you know, the way that I get those customers to come back is by giving them more variety, um, which is, you know, definitely a challenge as a small roaster. Um, but, you know, I'm also happy to be a part of the Pantheon and have people enjoy different coffees. I think one we've kind of lost sight of in the coffee industry is that um, having more options gives people, like actually increases consumption and creates a more educated consumer. You know, you look at the beer industry, you know, like I thought that beer was saturated years ago when I was kind of a beer nerd and I'm not that interested in beer anymore. And actually like, I find it kind of overwhelming because the industry has gone so much bigger and there's so many more product offerings and so many more brewers, you know what I mean? Like, uh, there's a lot more space in coffee than we realized. Um, and I think, uh, as coffee professionals, it's up to us to like really look at the market and see where the opportunities are. All right. So, uh, let's talk a little bit about the sales channels because that, that was a good start, but I assume you're not selling now only in your garage twice a week. So what are your sales channels now? Yeah. So, I mean, we are trying to be as much of an e-commerce brand as we can. You know, we've experimented with Google ads and Google shopping and Facebook shopping and Instagram shopping. And, you know, I do my best to post, like follow all the rules of social media, you know, post regularly and hashtag. And I wouldn't say that I'm great at it, um, but we're building it and, you know, doing a little bit of wholesale. I think we have maybe five wholesale clients. And so, you know, we can move, you know, some, some extra volume there and, you know, just trying to eke out um, enough volume to make it work. Uh, how did you get those five wholesale uh, customers? Are they cafes, by the way? N neighborhood connections and personal connections. So one is a, a local grocer that's like two blocks from my house. That's probably our, our biggest single um, customer. So they have two locations and we got, got in there. Uh, and the, that was the funniest story was literally, you know, like one of the guys from the grocery store walked by and he was like, you're roasting coffee. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, I work at the grocery store up here. Like, how can I get more local than two blocks away? And so we started talking, you know, with grocery, it takes a long time. You know, they have shelves and they have processes and you got to get GS1 codes and all that kind of stuff. But um you know, we've seen the local neighborhood really respond well to us being placed there. Um, another one is a local restaurateur. So like a little breakfast joint. Um, they do breakfast sandwiches and things like that. And so we got their location and then they opened in the airport um, this year. So we got in there. So that's been awesome. And yeah, just little places like going into a corner market and being like, hey, this place is cool leave a note and a and a bag of coffee for the owner and, and see what happens right um and so you know i have to carve out time to kind of try to do more of that prospecting and try to build our brand that way but that's kind of the the long and short of it 
I you mentioned that you worked uh, you did a lot of experimentation with Instagram shop and hashtags and uh, Facebook shop. Any remarkable discoveries we should know about? Wow. Uh, I mean, I think you have to look at it from a long perspective, um, and you have to really work hard to drive engagement, especially now that the algorithms make it so hard for you as a new business, right? Like on Facebook, they won't even show your posts until you get a hundred likes, right? So um, unless you're willing to come in with money and really push those platforms to to show your stuff, um, then I mean, you're going to be working really hard, right? And I think, how do you want to look at it, right? I see so many people on Instagram and Facebook and stuff like that and they're basically just like trying to push ads like they their posts are very advertisement based um and i don't think that works i don't think it works in those platforms i think that people want to have a relationship with you as a person or as a you know real they want to have a real interaction with you otherwise they're not going to follow you there's too much content out there people's attention is too short so like, why am I interacting with your brand when you're just giving me the, like, taste great, less filling version of of the brand experience, right? Absolutely, man. I just having this fight in Green Plantation, we hired a not cheap PR agency because we expanded to Hungarian market and we need help there. Uh, and uh, the she's very much focused on style photos with uh, our packaging and i'm like i see them all the time and i i don't react to that like i don't care but if, if i see some group of people having fun or the company culture or some way like equator coffees does an amazing job equator does an amazing job when it comes to uh, marketing and a great kind of like balance of photos with stylish, you know, drinking coffee and stuff, but also like uh, pushing their causes because they have a lot of causes they uh, want to be involved in and kind of like having a feel for the company culture and having good gut feeling what they stand for, right? What is their brand? So I, I, but I was told that I'm stupid. So I was like, okay, I mean, you are the professional, we pay you for that. So uh, let's see in a few months after the trial period, we look at the numbers. And if I see the increase in sales, I, I bow and say, I apologize for my uh, crazy ideas. But you know what? I think I'm going to be right so far. <laughs> it seems so. <laughs> Unfortunately, because obviously I, I, it's not an egoist, like it's not an ego thing. I wish she was right because I'm paying her to increase the sales on that market. And if she increased the sales, I have more money to count secret in a garage and spend it on iPad Pros or whatever I want to buy myself, right? So, you know, I wish her luck, uh, but I don't. I think that you're right. I don't think that works that much, especially because it's so freaking saturated already and everybody's doing the same. And my theory always was if everybody's doing something, you don't want to do the same. You want to do something different to stand out because it's so expensive to outshout that big group which shouts the same word, you know, so... Absolutely. And, you know, I think it's interesting. It's like, yeah, I mean, people want to know what the package looks like, but actually what they really want to know that what they want to know is what am I going to 
feel what am I going to experience when I use this product and like give me a positive experience you know the person who I think does this really well and this is a, a dear friend of mine up in Maine um, Wicked Joe and their social media presence is all just what it's like to be a person in Maine right and where they go and the how beautiful Maine is and all that stuff. And it's all about building loyalty with Mainers and how much they love the state of Maine. Mm-hmm. And I think they do a great job of it. And it's, you know, I don't follow that brands, coffee brands on social media because yeah, like why do I need to see photos of your bags? <laughs> I have so many photos with so many bags, right? And the, the people who I do follow or who I do think it does well is you know what am i going to experience in your cafe what is authentic and you know it's something that i've tried to do really hard is focus on what we're trying to do which is be in the home and give people the experience of like this is what we're having for breakfast and you know have your coffee and this is how to brew and all that kind of stuff and you know the hardest part of that is walking the line you know giving people something and also like kind of oversharing um i i personally feel really vulnerable about you know putting my life out on the internet um and so that's a whole other thing but you know it's an interesting line to walk as a as a person yeah i noticed that uh from your social media and also noticed that you changed since we uh, not since we met but since we started to work together in like summer right you i think that your social media became a bit more about you you, you put a little bit more of yourself in it which i think is i think that's kind of good thing i i feel you i had a uh kind of like uh what do you call it like i burned down social media like a year ago and for easter actually i had a i decided that i'm i'm not a catholic or anything like my family is but I was like, oh, you know, there's a Lent, so let's use this opportunity to do a Lent first time in my life of some kind. So I uh, did not do, did not do any social media for uh, one month, then the second month, then the third month, and I freaking enjoyed that because I realized that I started to learn French. I realized that I started to uh, do better photography because I did that. I read more books, and I'm not saying that social media are bad. But it ruled my life, and it's I'm back a little bit, but I'm I'm ne- I'm never going to be back as I used to be. I'm mostly back to, I'll be honest, promote courses for boot coffee or you know helping other people to promote stuff. But going back to your authenticity, authenticity, I will learn this word today. Uh, it's fascinating that, uh, like what you said, because one of the most important things, and I think this is a big thing people should remember that is that if you want to sell anything you have to create trust and this is how i try to explain to this pr person you have to create trust and if the people don't trust you they will never buy that product from you and how you create trust for me for example presenting myself as a company culture right not myself as a person but being open about hey here we're roasting this is what we do this is what we celebrate this is who we are and if people resonate with that they will feel that they are together in one room. Like yesterday, uh, that Argentinian lady, uh, Catalina, she said, when we started to talk, she said, oh my gosh, it's like 
I'm with you all the time because I listen to your podcast. And I think I totally got, get her because I, I felt that, you know, it's like there was established trust. Even we never met before because she listens to the podcast. She heard my voice and it just works. And I think that social media or your, your branding should be like that. But maybe I'm crazy. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm missing out millions of dollars because I'm not making more product photography. I don't know. Right. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are, are being very successful on social media by creating a very curated image. Um, but I think social media is a tool and it is how we choose to engage with it, right? And so, like, you can create your own your own world. But what I have seen that I want to respond to and who I want to be, um, you know, and who I'm working on being is somebody who really you know is authentic and you can use social media as just like a communication tool right and you can be your whole self you can put it all out there the good and the bad and and everything else um and you know there are people out there who are great at that you know like i look at you know friends like joe morocco you know shares a lot of really intimate stuff uh, out there in the world and you know Kudos to him. I, I have a hard time being that vulnerable always. But I also look at, you know, I have I I feel guilty because I have a lot of friends who I haven't done a good enough job of staying in contact. And, you know, we live in a day and age where it's very easy to keep people up to date with what's going on with you if you do it the right way. Um, and, you know, we've allowed ourselves to kind of ostracize social media as like, oh, you know, it's evil or, oh, you have to only post like the best stuff or whatever. Why did we create that? You know, I want to engage with you as a real person. And um, anyway, I'm probably going in a rabbit hole, but, you know, something that I think is really interesting about where we are. I'll tell you one thing that you do very well, and I'm glad that I found you that way because, uh, one of those scammers who threaten you, you know, what I call scammers, one of those businesses who will try to sell you their services and they threaten you that if you don't buy their services, you're going to die, are the SEO experts. I don't know if you get emails from SEO experts, search engine optimization experts. Yeah. <laughs> right. And oh, I, I sometimes open the emails because I'm curious what the next threat is. No, what's going to happen to me if I don't buy their service and, you know, they're getting more and more creative. And I know people who buy that and buy into that. And they, you know, pay a lot of money and they hope that, you know, they have some magic and they will sell more stuff. But to be 100% honest, and maybe I'm wrong, but <clears throat> this is my uh, experience. I did a few web projects and basically living partially from coffeecourses.com. So, you know, we, we do sell courses. My thought is that Google is not stupid. You cannot really you know, trick Google, what you can do with Google is give a good guidance that who you are. So the algorithm understands it and can offer it to the right uh, consumer or customer or whoever is interested in your website, right? And when I talk to our students, one tip which I always give them, and sometimes they have companies and we check if they have it, it's Google My Business. I mean, that's the easiest thing what you can do to Google to set up your Google My Business page. It's free. You give Google a great idea who you are, 
where is your shop, uh, where is your company, what do you sell, add a few pictures, and collect reviews there. And I see that you did an awesome job. So did you do it because you heard it from me? Ha ha ha. Or because you uh, just, you know, why did you do it, basically? Because somebody, I saw an ad on Instagram or one of these spam emails is like, you know, don't do anything, just do Google My Business. And I was like, what is this? And I looked it up and I was like, oh, this is easy. You know, I just register an account and I put my business info in here and, you know, okay, I posted a few photos. I, you know, I actually didn't spend that much time on it. So the fact that you you think I did a good job is, is kind of incredible to me. Um, but I think the thing that's really interesting about it is I just looked at there are so many businesses who are paying no attention to this whatsoever. Um, hey, if you're a, especially if you're a retail business, if you have a retail location and you want people to find you, where are they going to find you? They're finding you on Google Maps on their phone, right? They're walking around in a neighborhood that they've never been in and they go, and they just plug coffee into their Google Maps and it it pops up, right? And so Google waits people who have put their info in there, that have posted photos, that you know they, they've published their hours, they have reviews, those kinds of things. And it's really interesting now because I can tell when there's a lot of tourists in town, especially on the weekends, and we get people walking up to us and being like, do you sell cups? And I'm like, no, we, we only sell beans. And they're like, oh, well, we saw, we, we saw you on Google Maps. We thought you were a coffee shop. And you know, so then I'll send them to my favorite local cafe in the neighborhood. But I think it's really fascinating of like, Google my business to those people walking around in my neighborhood and they're not showing the local third wave cafe or, you know, whatever, because they haven't put that minimal amount of effort into uh, that tool. And it's super easy. Um, and reasons why I felt like there was an opportunity in e-commerce is that all of the coffee roasting companies that I've worked at, you know, e-commerce was really a secondary kind of business channel. Um, everybody was very focused on cafes, very focused on wholesale. Um, and I understand it, a way of growing the business, right? But, um, you know, I think there's a huge opportunity there, especially as we see, continue to see the Amazonification of of our lives and that's only been accelerated by the pandemic so one th so other thing that is important on this google uh my business are the reviews and you know yelp lost its credibility i mean a lot of business people know that yelp is basically asking money from you to remove the bad reviews they claim oh we don't do that uh, yeah i know they have a nicer language but basically that's what they do so a lot of people have businesses, so they know that Yelp is kind of rubbish now, so, and the Google does not do that. Google has its own problems, and I don't want to go deep into that. But definitely, if I search on something and I see the reviews, it gives me an idea, whether I trust to that brand or not, that you have reviews, and you are very young for having, like, what, 19 reviews? How did you do that? I wish I knew. You know, I... I have never asked anybody to post a review, um, but very luckily people have have done that. Um, you know, I can point to some very specific reviews on our page and tell you what 
caused that. And it's really interesting to see how, you know, just being a person and trying to give people great service um, makes a difference to them. And, you know, I think it's one of those things that we've lost sight of in the world is kind of like, if somebody does something nice for them, and if you really love a business, I would encourage you go give them a review. I've, I don't like reviewing, but I've actually started giving businesses, local businesses that I love Google reviews, um, because I've seen what a great impact it's had on my business and I want to support them. And I've realized that that's a really valuable way to support them is to say, Hey, this is a great restaurant. I've had a great experience here, you know, those kinds of things, um, because it builds trust and because, um, it helps them be found for other people. And the best thing that I can do for another small business is to help. Right. So. Absolutely. And it's, you know, we don't, that's it was a very good point. You don't realize it until you are on the end. Like, uh, like don't realize how important pixeling is for Facebook ads until you are a small business person. When you are a person, you go like, oh, don't follow me with the pixels. That's horrible. As soon as you become a business person, you want not only pixel, but you want the names, which Facebook never gives you, you know? Same with reviews. It's like, oh, I'm not, they, I gave them three stars. That's a very good review. Until you are a business person, you realize they're three stars lowering your rating so badly that people think that you are some kind of scum. Right. And it's, I am, I'm the same way. I, I leave anytime I get a good service, I'm very happy to leave five stars, sometimes four stars. That's all fair. Uh, to leave a bad review for me, you have to make me so mad that, you know, I just basically was like, okay, but I don't really give three and two stars really because like, you know, I was not that happy. Maybe that person had a bad mood or. Uh, had a fight in the morning, did, did choose a bad coffee for its morning coffee. I don't know, but I don't, I usually then just don't leave a review, but they are super important. So just think about it, guys. If you don't have businesses yet and you get a good service, review those people because that's very important for them. Well, and it's not just reviews, right? Like if you love a brand on Facebook or Instagram or they're posting stuff that's engaging, like, comment, share, like, that's how the algorithm shows those posts. And especially for super small businesses, I mean, nobody is even seeing that post unless you like it or comment on it or do that kind of stuff. Um, so let's put more positivity in the world, right? Like we've seen all the ways in which the Facebook algorithm can hate and terrible things in our world and you know you have the power to manipulate the algorithm to show the things that you think are good and beautiful and i have to say that for me when somebody comments when i post this podcast somewhere uh, or give us a re give reviews on itunes i'm always like wow uh it does make sense to make it and many times they give me these reviews when we meet them like you know, I really feel pumped because yesterday Catalina, you know, the lady from Argentina said nice things about the podcast and we really clicked and she has this great idea for business there. And she referred a lot of podcast episodes and I was like, wow, this is awesome. You know, this is just great. You know, so if we don't meet in person, you know, just let me know. Just, you know, if you don't want to leave a comment, just send me an email or something because that always helps. And by the way, I forward these emails if you send email about other company, which let's say about the episode and, you, you know, uh, you 
have a question or something, I always forward it to those people who were the guests. So feel free to do that because really that's like a clapping in a theater, right? You know, we, we can't hear the clapping here. Yeah. All right, man, we're talking for such a long time uh, and I'm going to slowly wrap this up. I still want to give you the $10,000 question, but you already did it, right? But if you have another idea, if I would give you $10,000, which I will not, by the way, but if I would, uh, what kind of coffee business would you start? I was thinking about this because I wanted to be able to give you, yeah, mostly because mm -hmm. I don't want everybody else to copy me. So um, here's my go at it. If I were going to start from scratch today and I wanted, I had 10K, I would do a espresso catering or cold brew cart business. Mm -hmm. So uh, I know some women who did this in Austin like 10 years ago. They bought a GS3 on a credit card and a grinder, and they started selling caterings to weddings and corporate events and stuff like that. And they paid for their espresso machine within three months. Um, and they were, you know, paying themselves doing events, you know, once a week. Um, so, and they eventually took that into a truck and, you know, were able to do some cool stuff with it. So I, I think it's a super cool idea that you could do for not that much money, um, you know, and it takes some contacts, it takes some hard work and, you know, you have to, to navigate some stuff, but I think it's very viable and something that people are not really looking at. Yeah, I think so. I think this is a maybe third person who said that, you know, catering or some kind of like a coffee cart, it's viable. And I think it is, uh, you know, you don't have to go and buy the most expensive Lamarzoco to start, you know, a coffee cart. Uh, I have to say, I love Lamarzocos. I really love them. But in Green Plantation, we don't have Lamar's, of course. You know, uh, we when we take the coffee makers to the events, we beat them up, and you know, they, you know, they are not Lamar's, of course. They are brands which you never heard of. So <laughs> they are great, but they are not Lamar's, of course. You know, they're a little bit ugly. But if we take them to a muddy wine festival, we know that you know they will survive, and if they don't, it's not a biggie because they're not that expensive. Uh... Anyway, okay. All right, so I ask you a lot of questions and thank you for your very honest and open um, answers. And that's why I chose you for this podcast because I know that you are a pretty like uh, open guy who is happy to share. Um, so it's only fair that you can ask me a question. Do you have a question for me? Ooh, what should I ask Valerian? Valerian, when are you gonna start selling wine? Oh man. Never. <laughs> That's a short answer. Or, or maybe when I retire, and that will be in Europe, most likely. The thing about the United States is that they have such a horrible alcohol laws. It's such a hard thing to start uh, uh, selling alcohol uh, that it's, it's just not worth it. And even if you get your permits in California and you want to sell to other states, you have to have a permits in other states. Those permits cost money. And for other states, you have to hire actual lawyers. It's it's incredibly complicated and stupid. And I was like, I'm not going to participate on that. You know, I'm already have enough beef with health permits. If you know, go to different counties, you need different health permits, which is I think a scam. It's American scam or California scam. I'm, I don't know if other states are like that, United States, but in California, it's like 
I want to, in, in my area, I would want to work, let's say, with coffee cart in five counties, right? Nearby. That's five health permits. That's five times approximately average $800 a year. That's ridiculous. That's just stupid. So. Are you sure that's true, Valerian, though? Because, well, I mean, that's a whole other thing. The other thing I find hardest about the states is that it's really unclear about what you do and don't need, right? So, you know, like, if you're a coffee catering company, you should have your commissary space and your original license, right? And you may need like a temporary permit to do an event in another place, but that should be a pretty minimal fee for like a one day thing. And you might even be able to nest your permit under the food caterer or something like that, right? No, that's, that's a good point. And if you have anybody that does research on this, it'll be great because when we were doing this Anish Coffee, uh, we didn't want to do one event. What we wanted to do is be in a part of farmer's markets. And those farmer's markets wanted a health permit from those counties. So a Marine County where we are based wanted a Marine County health permit. But our health permit was, I think, Alameda, which is uh, Berkeley, right? Or something like around, I forgot which county issued our uh, health permit for making, producing coffee, because health permit to serve coffee or samples, so serve, serve samples and sell coffee on a farmer's market is a different health permit. So that's plus to your production permit. And after a while, we just said with William that, no, nah, I'm not doing that. So it's just like, does not make any sense, especially that our goal was- Definitely a barrier because, you know, like, you have to go to that farmer's market every week to make it worthwhile, right? Or whatever. <laughs> Makes it really hard to experiment and figure out where is their demand or to brand footprint by finding new audiences, right? I just hate bureaucracy, man. I just want to go ahead and do the stuff. And I love what I'm doing right now to, you know, be with students and uh, talk uh, coffee business and think different ideas. Still working a lot with green plantation, experimenting a lot. Ugh, dude, that's just a dream job for me. So I don't think I will ever sell wine. You can only get it when you come to the course and I share it with you. <laughs> that's true. I always enjoy trying your wine. I enjoy your wines because you are the guy who actually brings wine too and shares your uh, wisdom about natural wines. And it's, it's fun. I did not know you we were into wine until I brought uh, the first batch after the course and you said next time I'm bringing wine and it was awesome yeah nice alright man thank you so much for being on a podcast uh, I hope you had fun I hope listeners you had fun um, definitely there's a few goals here remember the trust remember the gut feeling yeah about the brand and remember definitely the Google My Business because that can save your bottom if you're starting it's so easy to set it up it's free and it's crucial, right? Absolutely. All right, have a good one. See you soon. Thanks, Larry. You too.